Hey, how are you guys doing? I'm Joes. I'm the host of Creators of Open Source. This is a show which talks about open source maintainers and contributors, their journey, and you know, so that actually a lot more people join the open source revolution. Today we have Ajin, who has been with open source for a couple of years, been like very successful in building out mobile security framework. I'm super excited. He got tons of story to share, and let's get started. Security is very, very critical for our modern digital society. And we've been talking to a lot of open source security frameworks and Mobus has been one of the ones. And Mobus is actually so uh, important. Department of Homeland Security is actually sponsoring them. So I'm I'm super excited to bring Ajin and hear his story. So Ajin, you know, just just give us a intro about what is Mobus stand for and your story as well. Once again, thanks for thanks for being on the show, man. Super excited. Hi, Josh. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, Mob itself uh, is a security assessment tool for mobile application. Uh, it gives like an overall security posture of uh, your mobile application. Um, it's developed like I think I started working on it uh, back in 2014. Um, mostly uh, as an automation of uh, my day-to-day -day job and then uh, eventually open sourced it. And yeah. Awesome. So, uh, so you you are not a security engineer, but you know this product actually like you know made you a security engineer. Is that the right way to look at that? Uh, not really. I started out as a security engineer, so my day-to-day -day task involved uh, performing security assessment of mobile application. And I used to work at a company where uh, we have to do security certification of mobile application, which were released like every week. And okay. a lot of these things are kind of repetitive. And at that time, there were like a lot of tools available, but they were like independent tools that you have to put your own effort, uh, you know, tune in here and there and then make it work for you. Uh, but eventually it seems like a lot of these things can be automated and that kind of like uh, give rise to an idea of uh, why not automate it? Why not build something uh, to automate those things? Got it, got it. And uh, so, you know, if somebody is actually picking up, looking at the Mobisurf versus, you know, competition, like what, what would be, you know, the proprietary equivalence to Mobisurf? Or do you have anyone like that? Um, I I think there are a couple of um, proprietary, um, you know, paid solutions that are available out there. Uh, but I haven't really like looked into those or how they function. Uh, again, like more stuff as a project, it does not compete against any of the, the proprietary tools. They have their own kind of uses, like specific set of requirements and specific set of uses. But then more tries to address like a lot of problems and tries to address like a lot of the wider section of the community, not just the technical folks. There are journalists who use more uh, especially with a lot of COVID, COVID related applications released by government around the world. There are like very non-technical folks. I see a lot of people like non-technical folks jumping into Mobisurf, um, scanning the app and then, uh, you know, coming up out with the story, whether it's true or not, is a different thing. But, you know, there are like different set of uses. It's like, it tries to target the technical folks, the non-technical folks. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, the landscape or like the coverage uh, or the focus of Mobisurf is like multi, uh, 
like it, it targets like multiple areas or multiple, it has multiple scopes rather than trying to address uh, a single problem. I think like most of the commercial tools uh, that are available, they try to solve a particular problem. Like it's application security or something like malware analysis. They focus on uh, trying to solve a particular area or a particular problem. But MobSF is more about, um, it, it tries to cover a lot of things, not trying to become a jack of all trades, but more like uh, that's how it get built up. Like there were like certain people, there were certain feedback from the community. Um, and then based on that, it got uh, developed. There was no clear cut motivation or like a, a focus point on, yeah, this is the area that we should focus on. So I would say it's like a framework where you can pretty much do a lot of things in terms of security and privacy. Understood, understood. I like to actually go deeper on that particular journalist piece. So uh, what's the story on that? Uh, yeah, so that's around uh, the fact that I see a lot of people who just, uh, you know, because it's very easy to start with MobSF, you just have to drag and drop the mobile binary and then MobSF will give you like a security score and uh, a lot of other uh, security related information. Um, I think uh, a lot of the folks and not everyone, but some of the folks, they try to use this tool, drag and drop the APK and then APK or like the iOS binary file and then create like a report. And when they see a lot of uh, red things here and there, uh, they try to create the news out of it. Hey, look, this particular app, uh, it's, it's mobile stuff says it's having insecure connections or it's having uh, like a low security score of uh, 10 out of 100, things like that uh, without actually digging into uh, the results and verifying whether it's actually true or not. So there's a lot of hype around that, like just by looking at the scores or just by looking at something that looks red, they assume that it's dangerous. Uh, there are cases where it is, but uh, there's highly, like there's a large proportion of false positives as well, but still I see people uh, you know, quoting it in articles and uh, news mentioning that, yeah, we found um, so-and-so issue with uh, this app with MobSF. Um, that's an interesting story, but needs like a really good dissection to see if it's actually an issue or not. Understood. So, you know, most of these contact uh, tracing apps, apps, right? I think I'm assuming those yeah. are the ones actually, okay, got it. I haven't read particularly about MobSF, but I've seen like a lot, you know, especially like, you know, because most of these apps are built overnight right i mean in the, so there was no benchmarking or anything of that sort. so yeah i could totally see that cool awesome so i think i, I like to actually like, i mean uh pick up on something you mentioned about uh you know um i mean the philosophy right i mean the, the way you guys building it out so all right uh you mentioned about like you know i mean so uh it's it's a framework rather than actually like, you know uh, picking a particular pro problem, right? So, I mean, how do you guys actually, like, you know, I mean, work on your roadmap? I mean, is it also like the same philosophy? Like, you know, I mean, you got the feedback and, or do you, do you set a, hey, this is actually what we want to build and like this, how we gonna look at it? How do you, how do you look at that part? Right, so um, most of the features came in from like random brainstorming, like, hey, we can do that and this, so why not combine that and build a feature like this? Uh, so a lot of those come from like random brainstorming among uh, contributors or some of them comes from folks who actually come together and suggest like, hey, it would be nice if we can do that. Um, so once we start getting, we used to get a lot of uh, feature requests, uh, but obviously we can't really cover everything. Some of them are like not in line with the project scope or are of low priority. Uh, we, we get like a lot of these pointers from the community. We also get like a lot of um, use cases from our own day-to-day 
stuff like when we uh, you know when we work on something we like find a particular problem that we want like mobile sub to solve so that those are like some of the points then there are some feedback from the community and we also run like a support package for enterprise who want to implement their own custom use cases like they want to create uh, a particular security test case or they want to run um, certain tests in the ci or cd like something that's specific to them uh, we try to incorporate DAS as well. So these are like paid uh, sponsors or paid supporters. So it's a collection of all these things. Um, and then we have contributors who randomly come and suggest like, hey, can I implement that? Because I think this is beneficial for the project. And Makes then sense. we come to a common agreement that, yeah, let's do it. And that's yeah. how most of the features get into the product. It's not really a clear cut. Uh, we do have like an yearly roadmap of something of things that we want to do. Uh, uh, we we kind of like follow that from the past four or three years, I guess. But yeah, in general, most of the features are like spontaneous that comes from uh, different sources. And then we just prioritize what we think is important for the project. Got it. And uh, how how does that thing work? You know, the prioritizing is, is it like a democracy or like, you know, they're like, you know, there's a committee or like, how, how does how does of work in terms of prioritizing? Which one you, I mean, I understand the long-term vision of the core right. team. But, right. you know, the other ad hoc features, how does that work? Yeah, so right now, um, I maintain the project most of the time. We have, like, around uh, four uh, collaborators who work on various features. Uh, but then, like, when it comes to discussion, we normally discuss around the collaborators channel where we talk about things. I mean, all of these folks, they are, like, they have full-time jobs and they're really busy with their stuff. Once in a while, they I get them uh, to discuss around stuff, um, and if I get them, we discuss around like what we need to do, how we need to do, and then uh, based on those comments uh, from them, we start implementing stuff. But most of the time, it's like uh, they are either busy or not available, so I have to like pull in like a lot of things from here and there, look into our backlog of stuff, and then prioritize uh, things. Got it. And how much time you, on average, spend on Mobisoft, weekly or monthly? Do you track that? Um, I don't really track that, but I'm sure I spend a lot of time um, considering I do most of my open source work when I have my free time. And I feel like I have very less free time now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, apart from, I used to like uh, mostly use my weekends um, up until like, one or two months uh, for open source related stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, there is no fixed time as such, but mostly when I am in a mood to write some code or when I'm brainstorming something that I want to put into the project, or maybe it's like, yeah, someone gave a really nice feedback around the tool and or someone pointed out that this is something that you should improve and that just keep pricking me and then I start working on it. Okay, so I understand. <laughs> I, I can I can definitely feel that, like you know, I mean, it gets hey, this is something. I, it's definitely cool. Let me take a stab at it. Yeah, yeah, awesome, cool. So fundamentally, you're saying as every successful open source maniac, you are actually you know you're compromising your social life for the benefit of open source or more person. Is that is that is yeah. a fair thing to say? I wouldn't say social life, but a lot of time. Awesome, cool. Uh, all right, so I think, uh, I mean, is there anything uh, like, you know, um, you know, you want to share with the folks, like, you know, in terms of any really cool feature coming out, uh, 
I mean, what is the next, you know, three to six months uh, roadmap, which you are very excited about? Right. So uh, there is nothing um, much planned, but in the long term, there are a couple of things in the timeline, uh, including uh, we used to support dynamic analysis of Android application, wherein you can not just look into the binary and then give you security analytics. We can also run this application inside a virtual machine and then uh, perform some security metrics around it and then give you an idea like, hey, how secure your application's network communication is or what this application is doing, what kind of data it is collecting, et cetera. We used to do that for Android, uh, but now we plan to support uh, iOS uh, virtual machines based on AMP-based virtualist uh, machines as well. So that's something um, we right now have like a technology that's available. Uh, it's paid, but still uh, it's like a great uh, way to you know, incorporate uh, mobile stuff into uh, mobile stuff with that technology to keep users of um, iPhone applications also perform dynamic analysis. That's one thing in the roadmap. Um, it would take a while, but uh, that's definitely something that we are prioritizing. We recently improved our dynamic analysis features and released a 3.4.3 version of Mobisub with a lot of dynamic analysis improvements. Um, and uh, yeah, a couple of other things where some of the pain points are like uh, myself not being a very UI, UX guy. I would like um, someone to help and support us with um, making the UI a little bit more responsive, non-locking and um, overall like, um, making it really uh, you know, convenient and um, responsive. Um, the other thing that we were planning was, since there's a lot of people who are trying to use mobile stuff and then going into conclusions without like real in-depth analysis, we want to uh, you know, create like a very lightweight uh, visualization of um, the facts or points that some people want to look into. Um, for the really non-technical folks and then give like a better understanding about how the application is works, or how the application works or what's the security posture like. So they don't have to do anything. They just have to like provide the application name or the package name and then we'll give you like an insight of that. Um, yeah, so that's something in the real long term, uh, uh, in the real long term because that involves a lot of server cost and uh, hosting it online and other data related stuff. But uh, right now we are not there, but we plan to do something around that line. Wow, that's exciting! I think especially the iOS thing because uh, I keep reading you guys are really good in the Android bit. So you know, like ex expanding the same thing to iOS, that's awesome. So uh, the stuff you mentioned uh, is it like going to be like more like a reverse engineering of the proprietary code, or like how how do you actually approach that? Oh no, we we already support like static analysis. Uh, we okay. do uh, that part. We and we support analysis in uh, analyzing like application binaries and source code, both Android, iOS, and Windows mobile applications. Uh, but for dynamic analysis, you have to run this application in an environment. Like either you run it in a real device and perform security assessment, or you run it in like an emulator or a simulator uh, or a virtual machine. So up until recently, we don't really have a commercial, uh, you know, AM-based uh, Got it. Uh, virtual machine. We only had like an x86 simulator that comes with uh, Xcode, which is kind of like, um, I mean, technically it's a, in, in, in a high level and in a technical sense, it's difficult to do security assessment on what we get with, um, um, you know, Xcode or Apple. You have to have like a different uh, device-like environment. So 
we have a new tech uh, that's out there. It's actually paid, but it's very affordable. Um, so that's something that helps um, opens the gate for a lot of security analysis and uh, tools like Mobisurf can really make use of it. So, uh, so you mentioned about like you know, I mean, there's a paid plan, right? So, I just want to understand uh, what are the, I mean, you, I mean, I mean, with respect to Mobisurf, what are the different mountains revenues you guys are exploring right now? Right. So uh, there is no uh, paid plan for Mobisurf. Mobisurf is totally open source and free. Uh, as the software, it's totally free and open source. There is no uh, paid plan for it. What we, like the monetization that we do is around support that we provide. Like that's mostly my time and uh, effort uh, and kind of like uh, training content that we provide. So we have uh, an online platform where we provide uh, uh, training videos for Mobisurf. Open security and, and OPEX, right? Yeah, uh, open security and OPSEC uh, where we deliver um, uh, you know, training contents uh, regarding Mobisurf and other security, general application security where people can uh, purchase the courses and then get a better understanding of the project. Um, that's like a very uh, nominal uh, $20 course that we normally provide. I mean, it's not really a big monetization aspect, but that's one thing that we do just to point out. Uh, the other thing that we do is uh, provide support package for enterprise and uh, advanced customers. Like there are customers who want um, a little bit more personalized support and services. Like they want, um, uh, you know, some of them they want to implement, like I mentioned before, they want to implement a certain feature or functionality. Features, yeah. yeah, some of them want to give, want us to give like a live training uh, to their the um, team. developers. Or, I mean, they have like different kind of audience. Uh, some people want to give an overall uh, training for developers, which is like a high level um, thing. And then some folks want it for their security team, which is really technical. Um, and then there are folks who want to make use of the tool um, and still like provide support to the parent project. So like there are different folks uh, and they have like different motives, but in general, it's for like support, professional support services. We uh, have like a support plan for Mobisurf. Understood, understood. And uh, do you also have a GitHub sponsorship? Yeah, um, we used to, uh, you know, we, we used to get like sponsorship, uh, not from like via GitHub because that was a reason thing. We used to get like uh, some sponsorships here and there, uh, like one from the DHS guys. They were like actively help us, helping us and supporting us uh, and implementing a lot of features for them as well. So they are kind of like, uh, and they and a couple of other really nice good folks used to donate us uh, in decent intervals. Uh, but then recently GitHub started uh, GitHub sponsors. I think it's a really great idea, just that it reminds people that, hey, uh, if you like this project, feel free to uh, you know donate or support to this project. Uh, it doesn't matter even if you like give $1, maybe like for certain folks that makes them really happy. And then uh, that's like an incentive to um, work on something that people like, uh, not for everyone, not everyone's cup, but uh, you know, for at least for some folks that really works. And, it, and it's great that, um, uh, you know, they GitHub actually matches the first $5,000 that you get sponsored for, which is really nice. Right. Um, and I'm really lucky that I got sponsored by GitHub itself for a different project of mine. So, yeah, I mean, overall, it's it's really uh, a nice idea and uh, a nice uh, gesture towards open source developers. Definitely. Cool. So you mentioned you, you, you have four members uh, as, I mean, including you, right? That's your core team. Right. 
so i mean how, how did that happen like you know these guys i mean because i whenever actually i talk to you know open source managers it's really hard for them to get um, you know um, contributors right i mean good core, core right. contributors so uh, right. i i was actually talking to this uh, uh, particular project i was based on sulan and ultimately his brother joined him as you know one of the core contributor right so he's actually giving this sort of so i mean how how did it happen for you like you know i mean get these three amazing uh, you know core members yeah i mean um during the initial days of the project uh, i i kind of like wanted people to contribute uh, because that's the reason why i open sourced yeah. it right. like you take benefit from it and you contribute back to the project right. that's how the community and open source should grow at least for me so i uh, proactively tried uh, reaching out to fogs in uh, social media um like i got like four or five uh, students so for them they actually wanted to work on the project we had couple of um, online meetings some brainstorming sessions and then some ideas i i thought some ideas to them they said hey that looks interesting um yeah and um, we had like couple of uh, sync ups like that but nothing really moved uh i think because they are student and they have like a students and they had like a really tight schedule of things uh it might not be easy for them uh, everything like started and then it died off eventually so it was really not that helpful in the beginning uh but then eventually uh, i see people like um, there are like people who regularly contribute a uh, couple of things here and there and that become a little bit um, consistent and uh, one of the first uh, contributor that we had uh, he's uh, not an active developer now but he the one uh, there was a guy from germany called dominic smith he okay. used to uh, add like intermediate features once in a while and he contributed the whole uh, windows static analysis feature through the tool and then he disappeared uh, that's another story but yeah i mean he was like uh, one of the first contributor um, who actually helped uh, us in getting into that shape he suggested some ideas that uh, to make contribution easier to the project i need to restructure a couple of things here and there so that people can easily understand the project and then start contributing that was really really helpful um so we were like the two guys who were working on it for a while and then eventually we had like folks uh, coming up and suggesting hey can i add that feature uh, i see that you support the simulator can i support like the native android uh, some technical stuff and uh, we were like really excited and he started contributing so there was a mutton uh, he started contributing he's from israel uh, it started contributing to the project uh, he's uh, one of like the core contributor now then there was vincent uh, nadal from france he help us with a lot of um, uh, updation to keep mobsf up to date with a lot of um, you know some of the dependencies that we have like he regularly actively help us with that he contributed the privacy tracking uh, features uh, and a lot of other quad quality, quality related uh, features uh, then the last guy who actually helped us was uh, magofa he's from china uh he used to help us with uh, improving our rest api so that other people especially like um other tool creators and um other um tools can make uh, use of mobsf via rest api and then consume the data from mobsf from mobsf uh, yeah i mean these are like uh, the developers that we have and it 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 has grown since then uh but yeah these guys are like they have their own day to day jobs and they're really busy with the things once in a while they show up in the channel and then we have like a good discussion and then 
uh, on a new feature or a, a particular issue that we want to solve fantastic so i mean you i think you're lucky you're one lucky guys actually in a good like <laughs> i was really lucky uh, i mean at least i think uh, this the project had some meaningful value to these folks and that's why they contributed it back because they don't have like any other incentive to work on an Definitely. open source project right so yeah it helped them at least uh, in, uh, in 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 their own uh, work related use cases i guess fantastic uh... and uh, so you mentioned about the the community bit right so i mean how often do you actually actively uh, engage with the community i mean do you have any i mean is it like still like you know i mean chat channel like how how does it work for you um yeah so we used to uh, manage things over github for a while and then it turned out that it's not the right platform for that that's when slack was getting really popular everyone like everyone for their work yeah. or other stuff they have like a slack uh, channel so we started a slack channel and then we started getting a lot of people there we tried to uh, you know redirect all the support and assistance related stuff to the slack channel and keep like the bugs and feature request kind of thing uh, towards github so that really helped us to uh, keep focus and keep track on things and most of the community who actually uses mobsf or have um, suggestions or have troubles using it are in and around the slack channel which is like it's open to everyone but you have to like sign up and then get into the community yeah, yeah so mostly mostly uh, you spend time on the slack channel and that's the yeah i mean i am in multiple slack channels so that's one of the channel that i regularly get like a uh ping um but there are often times then when i am not available and then it get bombarded with like a lot of things but we used to see that there's a lot of folks who know about the tool or know about the project uh, start helping out each other which is what i wanted from that Fantastic. particular yeah, community exactly. yeah. but it's 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 working out yeah what what is the future of mobsf as well as ajit you know i mean how do you guys like you know i mean what, i mean it, it's a, it's a very you know like uh, you know i mean say cancel uh, question but I, I i like to understand like have you thought about like you know i mean how do you want to i mean evolve uh, you as a maintainer as well as you know the project yeah i mean uh, maintaining is really hard stuff uh, anyone can write a project tool um, a script or even like a very full fledged uh, like like a framework but maintaining is the hard part yeah uh, Think, and it's a uh, dirty work as well right i think you you want to always build stuff but you know like you know i mean fixing that stuff yeah. i mean i hear a lot from maintainers yeah i mean fixing is fine but maintaining is it's a it's a really big pain yeah. um it's not it's something you have to do like uh religiously <laughs> yeah for some reason i have that <laughs> thing in me <laughs> that keeps me uh, come back but i think it's like this like if one day i feel like yeah i'm not really feeling positive about it that's end of the project um yeah i think it's like um, right now i'm working on it because i like what i'm doing i'm getting really good feedback and i feel like this is really helpful for the community that's why they come up with new features and support and other assistance so as long as it is relevant i will still uh, i'll still try to keep working on it i mean i i have a full time job so it's not obviously not easy otherwise some the community has to fund me so that i can resign and then work on it full time something i wish i can but um, yeah i mean um, right at this stage it's not yet there so 
as yeah. long as there is uh, interest, as long as there is relevance, I plan to work on it. And where it will be, I don't know. It's all spontaneous. Like if if the situation changes or if a new opportunity present in front of uh, like for the project and uh, for the maintainer, then it's based on that. It's always based on that. Understood. Understood. So I think, uh, uh, I mean, the, the stuff you clearly mentioned, right? You know, I mean, you're, you're working part-time. You want to, I mean, this is actually one of the avenues you want to explore, right? You know, I mean, if I can actually come full-time. Uh, is this just, uh, you know, the the salary part or like, you know, I mean, what, 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 I mean, I'm assuming that's one bit, right? I mean, is there anything else actually you're looking to actually come full-time? Yeah, I mean, um, that's definitely one big part sure. of everyone. Sure. Like, you need to be stable in your uh, financial aspect of life as well. Right. Uh, it, it, like you need to be stable financially to have like a mental piece to work on these things. Definitely. That's definitely yes. like the bigger part. Uh, the other thing is that um, you need to have an interest in what you're doing. Like the moment you yes. don't have that interest, it does not work. So as long as you have both financial peace of mind, mental peace of mind, uh, which comes from this and then the interest to work on it. Just to like, you know, before we close, like, uh, if somebody's actually starting up an open source project, you know, uh, I mean, just open source or like even security, right? Do you have any any words of wisdom, like, you know, your years of, you know, I mean, more than five years, right? I mean, I mean, if you, I mean, actually, I'll break it down to two questions. If you, if you actually, like, you know, I mean, look back, you know, what, what is the best way of actually, like, you know, starting this thing up? Any, any suggestions for yourself uh, or, you know, anyone actually coming up in this, you know, like this journey, like, you know, I mean, how do you actually, like, you know, I mean, you know, uh, help those folks or like give them any feed, feedback on that? Yeah, I mean, I am not really uh, an, an authority to like mention. You don't uh, actually, it's just your own oh, experience. <laughs> yeah, so this is just from my uh, you know sure. observations. It's like, um, I think uh, for anyone to have like a successful open source project, there are like at least two or three things to it. Uh, the first thing is evangelization. So if you don't speak about your project, nobody will know about it. <laughs> nobody will yeah. use it's just another million lines of code in trillion billion terabytes or petabyte of code in GitHub or any other open source report. Like nobody will use it. I mean, if even if they get like a, even if they get there by a search query, you might be lucky. But otherwise, nobody will know about it. You have to actively evangelize about uh, what you're building. Like that can be via blogs, that can be via podcast or you know meetups or um, Conference writing content on it and or speaking at conferences or meetups so you need to actively uh, you know talk about it uh, make people understand the benefit of it if you write it like in the home page or in the read me you know how often you will go through everything you just skim yeah. through the thing so nobody really gets it so you really need to focus on like what the tool is or what are the pain points that you're trying to solve you really need to communicate that the communication is important part you need to evangelize that um and the main part about that is uh, one subsection is called creating documentation. So yeah. if you don't have like a really great documentation, <laughs> your project is again useless. Like yeah. if you have the coolest project in the world and nobody knows how to run it or like they have like million setup issues, then they are not going to come there. So that's something that we learned and we tried to solve for more stuff. Like over a period of time, we try to minimize the stuff. Even a novice can easily you know, get into setting up the tool and then uh, start using it. So I think uh, after we like created like the Docker image, we had like around uh, around 500k downloads uh, in like around one or two years. 
Uh, so that that explains like people don't want to set up things their own. They just want to pull a pre-built button. But yeah, um, keeping that to the side, um, evangelization is the biggest part. The next thing I would say is uh, building a community. You obviously have to build a community and then cater their needs, like support them. You need to help them out. Uh, like if people are not getting response or support, then they will eventually drop out and go into maybe commercial alternatives where they get like a proper support and proper SLA. So you need to figure out a plan to support your community or make it easy for community to self-help between each other, uh, which is the motto of, uh, which should be the motto of like uh, open source project. You make it easier and not complex uh, because if you make a great product and make it complex enough, then nobody's going to use it. Yeah. And I think one last thing that uh, I have to say is around uh, um, maintaining, like if you have an open source project, uh, if you don't keep it relevant enough, it will die off yeah. in a couple of years. Even if it's really useful, it will die off in a couple of years. So you have to maintain it. So that's also the hardest part with respect to a mobile open source project. Um, you it's have to find out ways, uh, influence people who are interested in uh, maybe like, like most of the well-funded open source project, uh, they are funded and uh, actively maintained by Google, Microsoft or Apple or other benefactors of that. So find out and figure out ways where you can keep your project maintained. I mean, when you're starting out, you don't have to get them, but try to yeah. keep it uh, updated, try to keep it uh, maintained, um, make sure that it's solving a problem that uh, the people are facing now. Um, I guess that would uh, be the three things that I learned, like evangelize about the product and then you know keep uh, maintaining it and build a community around it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that's, that's the, I mean, that, Fundamentally, actually, that's how actually you scale, right? I mean, uh, and, and you, you, I think I, I like about the fact that you, you clearly mentioned about the storytelling element, like, you know, you actually, you know, I mean, talk about stuff and like, you know, get your story right in front of the people, right? Uh, first of all, uh, thanks, thanks for time. Thanks for time, Ajin. I mean, I know it's actually late out there uh, in Vancouver, but uh, thanks for time. Uh, it's fantastic. Especially the, you know, the, the way you closed it uh, for people who are starting it up. I mean, I, I, I keep hearing a lot of stories about people actually missing out, right? Uh, so uh, thanks for all the tapes. Thanks for having me. Wow, that was a really fine session. Ajin sharing his story about how he started out and, you know, how why people should actually join open source. We have a lot more really interesting and really great maintainers and contributors joining our podcast so just tune in subscribe to us thank you once again stay safe